So Acts chapter 16, um, if you don't have a Bible, you'll, you'll probably want one to follow along. We have some uh, up on the stage here. Um, and so if you do have a, oh, thank you, Ethan. It looks like he's passing them out. <laughs> Raise your hand if you need a Bible, we'll get you one. And if you have a, a white or blue Bible that we give to you, um, Acts chapter 16 is on page 539. And we're continuing our study following, following Paul and his missionary journeys and the, the churches that he's traveling to and the, the work that he's doing. And uh, in, this, in this passage, we're going to see some really interesting interaction with um, Paul and his group and the Holy Spirit. And we see how the Holy Spirit um, gives an invitation to be part of the work that he's doing. We see how the Holy Spirit leads them through these different journeys and, and, and challenges and struggles. And then we see um, really the, the point of the Holy Spirit's work and the purpose of it all, which isn't always um, immediately apparent to us as believers in the moment, but we'll, we'll get to that. So Acts chapter 16, starting in verse one, it says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So uh, just a little bit of background here. If the name Lystra stands out to you, this, this city that they arrive at, it's because we actually just read about it a couple weeks ago and this was actually the city where um, Paul and Barnabas traveled to. And they, they actually healed a crippled man. And then all the, all the, the people in the town actually started uh, bowing down and worshiping Paul and Barnabas, uh, thinking that they were gods. Now, this worship was not welcomed by Paul and Barnabas, and they, they didn't want it, but that's what happened. Um, also in Lystra, at, at the same time, these Jews from a, a different city called Antioch, they came to Lystra, and they were so opposed to Paul and the message that he was preaching of uh, the gospel of being saved um, by grace through faith, that they actually convinced all the people in Lystra to uh, drag Paul out of the city, city walls and stone him and leave him for dead. So if you remember Lystra, that's what we just read about a couple weeks ago. And that was Paul's experience in Lystra. And here he is about four, maybe five years later, coming back to the city. Now, what he's doing at this time is he's revisiting some of the churches that they had planted, uh, some of the believers that they had encouraged a, a handful of years before. And they're just traveling through again and, and seeing how they're doing, checking up on the churches. You know, what's going on? How are things going? How is the, how is the leadership? How is the, um, are, are people growing in their faith? Is the church healthy? And can we do anything to help and provide encouragement along the way? And, um, and they also had an important task. So last week we read about uh, this council in Jerusalem and they were debating whether or not circumcision was required for salvation because that was the message that was going out in some places was that it was a requirement to be saved. You had to be circumcised, which was a piece of the Jewish law, Jewish tradition. And Paul argued very strongly that no, it was not a 
a requirement for salvation. And so they, they were all in agreement after that meeting. And so uh, along with traveling to these churches and checking up on them and seeing how they're doing, one of the things Paul is also doing is he has this letter explaining that decision and clarifying that no circumcision is not a requirement to be saved by Jesus. And that's one of the messages he's going around and, and making sure people understand and, and preaching that. So then we, we meet a young man named Timothy in Lystra, and it says that he's a believer, so he's already a Christian and apparently uh, has a really good reputation among the, the other Christians. So he's got strong character and integrity and, and potential, and he's just a, a, a good fit in Paul's mind to join them on their missionary journey. So he, he wants to take him along with them. There's just one problem, though, and that's that um, Timothy was not circumcised. Now, you might have a big question mark in your head as to why that's a problem, because Paul just argued against that very requirement for salvation. But Paul understands that in the ministry that they're uh, taking part of, they're traveling to these different cities, and their, their main method is to go into the synagogues, which are the Jewish temples, and converse with the, the Jewish leaders, the Jewish men and um, and in their minds, it was still an abomination to even eat with somebody and share a meal with somebody who wasn't circumcised. So that was just the, the mentality of the people that Paul was going to and preaching to and, and meeting with. And so Timothy, being uncircumcised or circumcised, that has no bearing on his salvation. And Paul knows that. So Paul doesn't look at him and he doesn't see a barrier between Timothy and God. He sees a barrier between Timothy and the Jewish people that they're trying to minister to. And that's the issue that he's trying to solve. So this was a, a, a ministry method, not a salvation issue. Now, it's, um, it's really interesting that, that Timothy didn't have to go through with this. Um, this was an invitation to join the ministry and, uh, and he, didn't, he didn't have to. But, I mean, that's a pretty compelling pitch to enlist somebody in your ministry, right? It's like, hey, we got kids ministry, worship team, or the missions team. And you might get stoned to death, and you got to get circumcised. But, hey, it's uh, all, all, everything, all else being equal, like, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good deal, right? Um, and Timothy knows that, it, that this is risky because he was there in Lystra four years ago when Paul was stoned to death. He sees what could happen. And he knows that it's going to be uncomfortable to leave his home and to, to go on this journey. And he knows that he even has to lay down uh, some of his rights to, to join Paul. And he didn't have to do that. But he, he chose to. You see, Paul and Timothy, they both understood that the gospel is already offensive enough. And I'm not going to apologize for the message of the gospel, but it's true. The message of the gospel is offensive to anybody who thinks that they're a good person. And a lot of people think they're pretty, pretty good, right? So there's a lot of um, Christian type uh, phrases or things that you could say to somebody if you walk out on the streets of Spokane, for example, um, that, that would be accepted with a very positive r response. You know, we could walk around and just tell people, hey, I feel like God wants me to tell you that, that, that he loves you. Oh, thank you. 
man, I've been having a really hard day and that, that really just makes me feel good. Thank you. Hey, I, I'm praying for you. A lot of times that gets a pretty positive response. God has a plan for your life. I believe that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. All of these things are true. And they're generally met with a pretty positive reaction. But as soon as you start talking about Jesus as a savior, whoa, I, I don't need to be saved. You think I'm not good enough on my own? You think I can't take charge of my own life? You start talking about Jesus as a redeemer. I don't need to be redeemed. That comes across as offensive. That, that Jesus is the only way into heaven. All of a sudden, you're saying that, that my efforts aren't good enough, that, I mean, I'm a pretty good person. You think that wouldn't be good enough to get into heaven? So when the full gospel is revealed, it can be very offensive. It is very offensive to people. Now, Paul saw that, and he knew that to be successful in their ministry and to win people over to Christ, they didn't need to add anything else that would have been offensive to people. Even if it was their right, even if they didn't have to, to give something up, uh, he chose to do that and he wanted to do that for the sake of reaching these people. So imagine that you're, you're on, a, on a ship in a storm and um, you, know, you, you need to lighten the ship so that you don't get uh, run, run aground or uh, on some rocks or so that the ship doesn't sink. And so any dead weight needs to go overboard. And there's this urgent um, mentality of just chucking stuff overboard. Is this essential? Do I need it? You know, you might have a, a bunch of food. Food's pretty important, right? It's not essential right now. Overboard. Maybe personal belongings that you have that are really important to you, that you've had for a very long time, that are good things. But it's not essential in that moment for that purpose. You need to stay alive. It's going overboard. Gone. Just, just throw it out. We don't need this. And that's how Paul saw some of, uh, some of their rights. Timothy could have uh, chosen to stay uncircumcised. He didn't, have to, he didn't have to do this. But this was a, a right that he had that he chose to lay down for the sake of reaching other people. So that's how Paul thought, just throwing things overboard. Do we need this? Is this going to get in the way of what we're trying to do here? But we're not uh, throwing things overboard for the sake of saving our own skin, but it's for the sake of other people. And it's for the sake of other people knowing Christ. And Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians, a passage that many of us are probably familiar with. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. And as I was reading through this and, and seeing this, this mentality, this servant's heart, I did have to ask myself, am I willing to throw things overboard for the sake of the gospel? Because there's a lot of uh, rights that I have. There's a lot of good things that God has blessed me with. And I'm not advocating that we just uh, start uh, throwing everything overboard for the, just for the sake of um, creating 
some type of suffering and thinking that that's honoring God. But when the time comes, when there is an invitation to join God's work, when there is an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody and, and, and that's in front of me, but I see something, one of my rights that could cause a, an issue in reaching that person, am I willing to throw it overboard? I don't have the nicest car, but I don't have a, a piece of junk car. I like my car. But if some weird situation came up where I needed to, to get rid of my car, would I be willing to do that? I mean, it's just a hunk of metal, right? You'd think it'd be easy, but things uh, can become incredibly important to us sometimes. What about my job, my income, my standard of living? I don't want that to decrease. I might want it to stay the same or increase, but I don't want that to decrease. But what if it, what if it was for um, following the call of God to you know, another city or another state because it was made apparent that the Holy Spirit and, and that God was, was leading me there? Would I be able to give that up and, and throw it overboard? What about the clothes I wear or the, the kind of food that I eat? Or what about my hobbies, my personal time? You know, I'll do all these things. I'll help out here. I'll be engaged here. But, you know, there's this big chunk of time that I need to protect. Am I willing to, to actually throw these things overboard? And I might ask the question, well, maybe, but, but why? What's, what's the point here? Why would I do that? What's the fruit of that? What's the reward on the other side? And we'll, we'll get to that, but there's an incredible reward on the other side of doing this. Is it safe? No. Is it comfortable? No. But where the gospel is preached and people are willing to be used by God, well, we see what happens. It's right here in, um, in verse five. It says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. That was the result of laying down their rights. Now, we do know a little bit more about Timothy um, from 2 Timothy chapters 1 and chapter 3. We know that his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, uh, they were also believers. And that from an early age, Timothy was, was taught uh, the scriptures. So they had diligently uh, taught him about the Lord and brought him up in the faith. And now they're, they're watching, likely. Four years after Paul got stoned and, and left for dead, you know, Paul comes back into town and invites their son or grandson um, to go travel with him. And I'm not a parent, but I'm trying to put myself in those shoes and imagine a child whom I, whom I dearly love receiving this invitation to go be a part of the Lord's work and, and how I would respond to that. Because it's one thing just to talk about, you know, what am I willing uh, to do? What am I willing to, to sacrifice uh, for the Lord? But it's, it's probably a different question and a different feeling when we're talking about our kids. Am I okay with my kids throwing things overboard for the sake of the gospel? Am I okay with my kids uh, moving to maybe a not so nice part of town to join a ministry that's reaching the community? Am I okay with my kids maybe talking about not going to college after high school, but uh, doing a few years of, of missionary work? Or am I okay when my, when my kid says that they're, they're turning down a, a full ride scholarship so that they can go study the Bible? 
I don't know what God's calling you to specifically or what God is calling your children to or what he will. But when that time comes, when the invitation comes and there is an opportunity to lay down our rights, to make much of the gospel, to make much of Jesus, are we really comfortable with that? Because I can tell you that uh, we don't exist here at Riverstone just um, as, a, as a social club or to boost people's self-esteem or uh, to pump people up on a Sunday morning. But what we want to do is we want people to actually know who God is and know that, that God wants to be involved in your life. And we want you to respond to that, that purpose for your life. And we want the same thing for, for all of our children here too. We want them to know God. We want them to pursue God. And then when God offers some type of invitation, whatever purpose he has for their life, we want them to pursue it with all they have and to follow Christ. Now, the incredible thing is that when an invitation like that does come, we're not called to go out on our own. We're not called just to... Um, to, to go solo. Let's keep, let's keep reading. Uh, in verse six, he continues and it says, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, we remained in this city some days. Uh, If you could uh, throw up the map uh, up on the screen here. Um, So much of the journey up to this point has been right here, kind of in the middle of the screen, Pamphylia, and then what we see um, right there, right above the purple is Derby, Lystra, and Iconium. So they're in Lystra. That's where they met Timothy. That's where Paul was stoned. And what they, what they try to end up doing is they, can, they continue to other cities preaching the gospel, and they're trying to go into uh, Asia, which is not Asia how we think of it. Uh, under Roman rule, this was called Asia Minor, where modern-day Turkey is. So they were trying to go over here to the left, kind of if you can see Ephesus right along the coast. That's a major city. And that's likely the the direction they were trying to get into. Um, But it says that the Holy Spirit uh, prevented them from doing that, which seems odd. So then it says that they tried to go uh, to Bithynia, which is up north, that northern strip up there. And it says that the spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they end up kind of going through the middle, that purple line, and they end up at Troas right there on on the tip, um, which is a, a coastal city. And that's where Paul has a, has a vision at night of this man begging, asking him to come to Macedonia, which is across the, the sea there and in the upper left-hand corner. So this is the farthest that the gospel has gone so far west up to this point. Now, <clears throat> I think it's really interesting that um, that they were prevented by the Holy Spirit. And then it also uses another title for the Holy Spirit. It says the Spirit of Jesus, um, which is uh, the same 
as the Holy Spirit. They're the same person, the same God, just a different title. And I, I think it is cool to take a second to talk about why they're different titles, um, because that helps explain a little bit of the, the purpose behind all this traveling and, and what they're doing. So the Spirit of Jesus, again, it's just another title for the Holy Spirit. And the reason it's used is because um, the Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus. The Holy Spirit does the work of Jesus by proclaiming the message, the message of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit's role and, and what he's about is pointing people to Jesus. And if there's anyone who wants the gospel to be preached, it's the Spirit of Jesus. Now, this is a, a, a personal relationship that Paul has with the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times we th- see things that don't really do the Holy Spirit justice and give us this idea that the Holy Spirit is some type of uh, nebulous force. But the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. He is eternally existent, uncreated, and he's personal. And if you look at some of the ways that he's uh, guided Paul in the past, back in chapter 13, um, 13 uh, verse two, you don't have to go there, but uh, it explains how, how they had been sent out by the Holy Spirit before. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, who was Paul, for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. So the Holy Spirit is, is personal and guides people in many different ways, but um, has made himself very clear to Paul in, in where he was guiding him and how he was guiding him. And as believers, each and every one of us has the Holy Spirit residing in us which I think is uh, something that we can forget as we, as we go through life. There's a, a lot of um, language and imagery in the Bible of God being high above and enthroned in the heavens, which is absolutely correct. But if we don't balance that, um, we can have this idea that God is far off. But when Jesus ascended, to be at the right hand of the Father. He gave us his Holy Spirit to be with us, to empower us, to guide us, and to point to Jesus. And so when we go out, when we get sent out, wherever we are, the Holy Spirit is in us and with us. So that means I I don't have to be worried that... um, that if I, if I misheard God or that if I, if I don't do exactly the right thing, take exactly the right step, I don't have to be worried that the Holy Spirit is going to leave me as a Christian. So I can have confidence that, um, you know, if, if I go left, the Holy Spirit is going left. And if I go right, the Holy Spirit is going right. Now, that's not at all to say that we have any, any uh, uh, command over the Holy Spirit or authority to tell God what to do, but it's a comfort that wherever we are, we can know that God is with us. I know there have been a lot of times in my own life where I, I had some type of decision to make, and in my mind, I felt like and I thought, if I uh, make the wrong decision, then, uh, 
God is no longer with me. So take, for, take the mission field, for example. Um, you know, let's say that um, I, I'm trying to figure out if God's calling me to India or to China. And uh, let's say I screw up big time and I choose China when God wanted me to go to India. Well, now that means uh, that the Holy Spirit's no longer with me and no fruit can come out of that ministry and everything I do is going to just be squelched and suffer because, uh, because I made the wrong choice, right? No, not at all. Now, if it's really that big of a deal, then God will correct it and guide me and he'll, he'll, he'll correct me. But the Holy Spirit is with us wherever we go. And sometimes that's confusing because the Holy Spirit closes doors and we don't understand why Paul and, uh, and, and Silas and Timothy couldn't go down to Asia or why they couldn't go up to Bithynia. We don't always see the, the why behind the method, but there is a why behind the method. And I, I think it's actually kind of interesting. Um, if you look closely in verse 10, he says, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. Now you might've you might caught just a little bit of a switch there because up until this point, he's been saying they, 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 Paul, they, but now he's saying that uh, we went to Macedonia. So who is we? Well, Luke wrote your book of Acts in the Bible. He wrote, he wrote all of this. He's the author. And the most likely explanation is that um, when they were in Troas, they actually connected with Luke who began to travel with them. So we don't really think about all the details. We're not all knowing, we're not all wise, we're all powerful, and we can't orchestrate all of the events that God might want to orchestrate, but it's very possible that the reason God prevented them from going certain places at certain times and then guided them to Troas was so that they could connect with Luke, who would later record all of these events so that we have them in our Bible. And if they had gone to Asia, or if they had gone to Bithynia, the book of Acts might not be in our Bibles. Now, I believe that God would have found another way, absolutely, because he's sovereign and he, he knows what he's doing. But I believe that, uh, that he orchestrates these types of things. And we don't see it at the time. We might be in a, in a struggle. We might have lots of questions. We might not know why we are where we are. And we're just trying to do our best. We're trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. We're trying to obey God. And it seems like things just aren't working out. And sometimes we, we don't always have immediate answers for that. But there is a reason. There is a purpose for it. And we'll actually see other events that God orchestrates and lines up uh, uh, later in this chapter. So when you do follow God, you're going with God, you're not being sent out alone, and you're following the most qualified person for the job. Let's keep on reading in verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. 
And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So they arrive, they, they, they go from Troas after getting this vision. They sail, they make a pit stop uh, at an island called Samothrace, and then they continue on to Philippi, which is in Macedonia, and that's a Roman colony. Now, being a Roman colony, um, a, a lot of the occupants were um, Roman military or retired military, and there's actually not a strong Jewish presence there. And we see that because we don't see the, the, the normal method that Paul uses of going into the synagogues and uh, conversing with the Jews. And the most likely explanation for that is because uh, a city required 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. That was their, their requirement. And so the most likely explanation is there just weren't 10 Jewish men in Philippi. And Paul's willing to be flexible and, um, and break that mold and, and still find a way somewhere, somebody to preach the gospel to. And so they find this prayer meeting and it's um, a prayer meeting of, of women and they, there they meet Lydia. And so there they, they have just a, a really interesting turn of events. There's nothing wrong with women, absolutely not. Um, but the, the, the strange thing here is just the, the expectation that they had was that they would go to Macedonia and find a man. And that might've been what they were keeping their eyes out for is who is this man in Macedonia who we're supposed to meet? <clears throat> but who they end up engaging in conversation with is, is this uh, prayer group of women and they meet Lydia. Now, there might be times where, where God seems to close a door in your life. And then we get some type of, um, some type of a direction from God. And it, it's certainly not misleading because we will see a man in Macedonia later on who is, is likely the, the person that they saw in this vision. But, um, you know, we just have certain expectations sometimes of how things work, how God is going to lead us, what we're gonna find when we follow God. And our expectations aren't always uh, how things play out. Now, uh, a little bit about Lydia. Um, Lydia was a common name in the Greek and Roman world. So it's quite possible that, um, that she was a Greek woman. But she's also, it says, a, a worshiper of God, which means that she, um, she knew the, the Old Testament, the scriptures. So to be honest, you know, when, when looking into this, there's not a consensus onto whether or not she converted to Judaism or whether or not she was a, actually an ethnic Jew. But regardless, she, she was a worshiper of God. She wanted to honor God. She was at this prayer meeting. But again, the, the gospel, the message of Jesus hadn't moved this far west yet. And because she was a, uh, a seller of purple garments, that dye was incredibly hard to make and was a very expensive type of garment or clothing. And so she was likely pretty wealthy because she was a merchant selling this to the, the upper class or to royalty. And here she is spending her time in prayer on the Sabbath where 
she meets Paul and their paths converge. And I think it's quite possible that the times when, um, when they were not permitted to go into Asia, when they were not permitted to go into Bithynia, that uh, there was some confusion and they didn't understand why, but God knew that if we weave these things in this perfect timing, in this perfect way, and I lead you here on the Sabbath, you'll meet Lydia and her heart is ready to accept the gospel. And the Holy Spirit had been um, working on her heart and trying to reach her for a long time. And at the right timing, it says that God opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Had it been a week earlier or a week later, maybe the timing wouldn't have been uh, optimal for, for Lydia to have that conversation, to listen to Paul, to understand what he was saying, and to open her heart and turn to Christ, because that's what she does. It says that she was baptized and her whole household as well. So this is what we see when we accept God's call. There might be a a risk involved. I mean, they risked their safety. Paul had already been stoned once. Timothy saw this and still chose to go with him. It might risk your, your comfort. It was probably more comfortable for Timothy to stay at home. And it might even risk uh, giving up some of the things that you are legitimately entitled to, legitimately have rights for. But for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of reaching people, you might be called to offer something up. And then when you do start to follow Christ, you can expect that he'll be with you, that God will be walking with you, that he's not going to lead you astray, but that he is going to remain in control and take you and put you in the right place at the right time. But an interesting thing happens, and that's, um, you, you know, we, we can find a lot of messages that when you follow Christ, you know, you might have lots of questions. And then when you finally see the culmination, when you finally see what he's doing, It was the best thing for you all along and you are fulfilled and get everything that you wanted and desired and everything that you needed. Now Christ fulfills us and he gives us joy and he gives us what we need. But we see here that when we follow Christ and when we follow um, that invitation to lay down our rights and to reach people with the gospel, it's not just about us. And we see incredible things happen in the lives of others, which again is why I asked, are we willing to see our children give up things for the sake of the gospel? Because everything we're doing here, we want them to one day respond in the same way that Lydia responded in turning to Christ and then answering the call of Christ to share the gospel. Uh, Worship team, you can come back up. So when you do accept God's invitation to join him, you, you may risk your safety. You may risk your comfort. You may risk a chance at a, quote, normal life. 
And you may be faced with a choice to lay down your rights and you may not understand the, the why behind it. You may not understand his methods or his timing. You may not end up where you thought you'd be and you may not find the people you thought you were going to find but you'll end up right where God planned for you to be. And if you're willing, he'll, he will use you as he transforms the lives of others and gives them hope and eternal life. And just as he used Paul, Silas, and Timothy and ensured that they were at the right place at the right time to speak with Lydia and create the, the first recorded convert in Europe, and then we see through uh, other scripture and church history just how the, the church explodes in Europe from this. And it started with this meeting with an unexpected person at an unexpected time after trial and frustration and trying to hear uh, the voice of God, trying to understand where the Holy Spirit is leading. And it all converged at the, the start of the church in Europe. I'd love for God to use me some way like that. Even if I don't understand it, even if it's hard. And I pray that you would too and that you would see the, the eternal fruit of that. That, you know, every single person that God has created is an eternal being. C.S. Lewis put it, uh, uh, he has a great quotation. He said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Heavenly Father, I just ask that we would be a church and a people who realize that, that you are loving, that you are wise, and that you are not going to lead us astray. And Lord, that everything that you do has, does have a purpose. And that you care about us each deeply, but Lord, you also want to use us in the work that you are doing to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to other people and to see other people saved. Lord, help us to know what that looks like, to look at people as eternal beings, as people who need to know your love, your redemption, the sacrifice that you made. And Lord, even as we come up on Thanksgiving and we, um, we spend time with family, I pray that we would, maybe this is a great opportunity to practice in a very small way, laying down our rights setting aside the things we know could be a barrier between us and somebody who needs Jesus and just throwing that overboard because it's, it's not essential right now. And what is essential is that this person know and respond to Jesus. Lord, help us to glorify you in all that we do. Help us to share the message that you've given us, Lord. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.